Can you imagine the angels coming to you with such excitement and a roar of if you could just see what we see. When he, they're talking to the shepherds or they're, they're coming to Mary and Joseph and they're having their appearance and they're like, fear not. If you could just see what we see, if you could just experience the angels get to experience every day when they're in the heavens and wanting to see heaven come to earth and anticipating what it means for Jesus to leave heaven, to to invade earth, to put skin on, to be like one of us. And they're like, if you could just see it, and then what would happen if we really saw it? What would happen if we got to truly experience something otherworldly? What if we got to experience what's beyond the finite, what's beyond what our natural eyes can see. And I imagine that some of you have had experiences where maybe you've experienced God in that way. And there might be people in the room who are like, what are you talking about? This is, this is how you experience God. But can you imagine if it were all true? And we believe it is. And if it were true, what it would do in the posture in our heart to experience a God who loves us, is so for us, that sent his son to us. I think if we experienced that in its fullness, it would be very holy. It would be very set apart. It would be awe-worthy. And because of that, that experience would cause us to posture our hearts, maybe even bend our knee say, what a holy thing we're experiencing. And do you know, and I hope you know, that that is available to you, to experience a great God who yet loves you, formed you, knit you together in your mother's womb, that a night like that, a night like this, could be a night where we experience a God who is holy. So with that mindset, could we posture our hearts as we sing this next song? Oh, holy night. That whatever night in which we experience God to his fullness, that our hearts would be postured to his greatness, his goodness. And imagine sitting in front of a child who you know is beyond this world. And that's why we sing, oh holy
Let's pray together. God, man, some of us, maybe without even realizing it, walked in tonight, God, wanting and hoping for and searching for what that song says, a thrill of hope because what's going on around us, God, it's, it's weary, it's burdensome. And even in the midst of a season that highlights joy and, and, and festivity, God, some of us are in a lot of pain. God, some of us are experiencing brokenness. We're mourning a season that God is missing someone. And yet, Jesus, it was in the midst of that kind of darkness and that kind of brokenness, those kinds of feelings that we're feeling that you left heaven to offer and bring light in the darkest part of our lives. And so God, we just come to you tonight with open hands, ready to receive what you would have to teach us about a baby in a manger, humble king sent to save us. Jesus, would you teach us a little bit more about who you are who we celebrate this Christmas. And it's in your name we pray, amen, amen. Hey, go ahead and grab a seat. Say hey to someone on your way to grabbing your seat. Gateway, Merry Christmas. We are so excited to have you here with us this evening, whether you're joining us online or in the room. My name is Ross. If we've never had a chance to meet, I'm one of the pastors here at our North Campus. Just so excited to welcome you to our church for Christmas Eve. And here's the thing, whether you've been tracking with Gateway for the last couple of decades, or maybe you're brand new to our church community, maybe you lost a bet or a bribe, or you had last minute Christmas shopping to do, you thought this was Lakeline Mall, and you pulled in and you're like, oh, it's a church, and now you're here. Regardless of what brings you into a place like this, something that we hold very firmly around here and we say all the time, and I hope you keep coming back because we will continue to say that we love every single person life by life. It means that no matter your story, no matter your journey of faith, of life, what we know is true is that you matter to God and so you matter to us. And in fact, you're stepping into a community of people who is discovering that every single day. And when we talk about loving each other life by life, there is this, this, this communal aspect that shows up in how how we're generous. And generosity, of course, that includes with our finances, but it also includes with our time and our resources. If you're stepping into a place like this that says we really do love everyone life by life, it's because what so many of us have learned to know is that as we link arms and do life together, there's power, there's freedom and breakthrough as we get to know Jesus together. And so we're glad that you're here. As we approach year end, we are setting our sights, like Eric said at the very beginning of this thing, toward the next year of funding a lot of really incredible projects through what we call our Life by Life Fund. And there's still a ton of time to be on that journey of generosity with us. There's gonna be instructions on the screen behind me if you're interested in learning how you can give to this place because there are incredible things happening. Orphans are finding forever families in India. Those who need treatment are finding it in Haiti and the Dominican Republic. Refugees are being given and dignity of being able to go back to work and provide for their families, all because this is a very generous community. And so I hope that you'll join that journey of generosity with us because it is incredible to see what God is doing in this place. Now, it is Christmas Eve. And we're continuing in this series that we've been calling Make Room, where we're learning what it looks like to invite Jesus's transformative power and presence into every aspect of 
our lives. And over the last several weeks, we've been looking at some classic hymns and how they help us unpack timeless truths that might still apply to our lives today. And so tonight we're looking at joy to the world. It's a famous song, I'm sure you've heard it, but I wonder if you've heard a little bit of the hymn's history. Watch this. In the wider array of Christmas songs, Joy to the World stands out as a joyful high point. Written by Isaac Watts in the early 18th century, this hymn radiates enthusiasm, a worldwide proclamation of joy. It unfolds as an anthem for the King, the majestic Jesus, who came not only as a gentle child, but as a sovereign ruler. It's a clear call to make room for Jesus, not just in a born or a manger, but in the core of our lives. Inspired by Psalms 98, the song envisioned the joy that spring forward when we open our hearts to the triumphant arrival of the King. Let the melody of joy to the world resonate as an invitation, an invitation to make room for the King who brings everlasting joy, transforming our celebrations into an eternal expression of gratitude and worship. Let it be more than just a seasonal song, but a continuous reminder to make room for the King that came for us. Well, Merry Christmas. Uh, some might say Feliz Navidad. Uh, welcome to Gateway Church. My name is Carlos Ortiz. I'm our senior pastor here at Gateway. So good to have you. If you're watching online, we're so glad you're with us. If you're in the room, thank you for braving the rain. You guys, just some of you came in sopping wet. Others of you uh, just came in dry. I don't know how you did that, but you did it. Uh, we're so glad that you were here. And you know, it's, it's a nights like this where uh, as a pastor and pastors all over the country have all sorts of emotions around nights like this. We're going to kind of let you in kind of behind the curtain of what pastors sometimes feel. I mean, sometimes there's the pure emotion and the excitement. You can feel the energy. You see people with their families. Uh, sometimes families drive to church in three or four cars because they all have plans afterwards. This is the one night they all ride in one car. Hasn't happened in a long time for some of you. There's a lot of things going on. You can feel the energy in the room and the anticipation, and that's amazing. And then there's another feeling that is there are going to be quite a few people who uh, maybe are new to faith or exploring faith or, as Ross already said, somebody dragged you here. You lost a bet, but you find yourself in church and you can't believe you're in a church on, on Christmas weekend. And yet there's this expectation that, man, for the first time, some people might hear uh, the good news of Jesus and what that means and how that can be transformative and really shape our lives but here's, here's the difference between the two. The first one is very circumstantial. It brings happiness because there's a set of circumstances that make you happy. There's a set of circumstances, the feeling that your staff has worked hard, people have worked hard, and people are going to be able to experience a, a Christmas service and the songs and all those things that come with it. And then... There's the next one. The next one has nothing to do with emotion. It's about this deep sense that some of us might experience God for the first time or in a brand new way. It has nothing to do with the circumstance. It has nothing to do as a pastor how many people are in the room or how many people are not in the room. It's about the good news of Jesus and it comes from this really deep place in our soul and there's a Greek word for this in scripture. It's called hara. And you spell it C-H-A-R-A, -A, but the C is silent. Hara. And, and, and this word is this deep sense 
of something happening. And so here's, here's a quote from Dr. Donald Campbell about this word hara. It's a deep and abiding inner rejoicing, which was promised to those who abide in Christ from John 15, chapter 15, verse 11. It does not depend on circumstances because it rests in God's sovereignty to control all things. It's this deep sense of peace and knowing that despite my circumstances, I have peace. Sometimes we say a peace that surpasses all understanding because that means all the circumstances are against me and yet I smile. You have that person in your family, maybe that grandchild, that niece or nephew, that child that is happy no matter what and it's annoying. Like it's so annoying. Like they come home from school and they're like, dad, I got a D. And they're so excited and you're like, I want to be excited with you, but I'm really mad at you right now. And yet there's this satisfaction they carry. And that's what we're talking about. There's this satisfaction that's so deep. And it goes against conventional wisdom. Because wisdom tells us in the culture, if somebody pushes against you, they might be your enemy. If somebody doesn't celebrate you, then forget all those people. You just got to have friends that tell you everything you do is okay. See, conventional wisdom is to ignore the things that do not make us happy. And we have to be careful because it's incumbent on us to break the box of conventional wisdom and to seek out biblical wisdom. And here's why. Because in Scripture, it acknowledges that you might have been wronged. Scripture acknowledges that you might have been hurt. Scripture acknowledges that you might have been oppressed. And yet, the joy that emanates from a deep soul, the hara of our soul, supersedes our circumstances. And we have to be careful to not put ourselves in the box of life, in the box of our circumstances, in the box of our decisions. I mean, think back to 2023, Right? And think through these last 11 and a half, almost 12 months. Think about the wins of your life. Think about the losses. Think about the good decisions. Think about the bad decisions. Think about the great emotions and the highs. Think about the low emotions and the lows that maybe nobody even knows about. And in spite of all of that, do we carry and emanate, uh, and, and emanate a sense of joy from our soul? Do we still dance when we just want to sit down and sit out the dance? I was really excited this last year. My wife is very reserved. And, uh, you know, we go to celebrations and she's like, she'll, she'll slow dance with me and that's great. I'll take it. But her sister had a wedding this year and her sister's request was that everybody would dance to everybody, every song. And my wife just put on the game face. And she danced her rear end off all night. And I was so surprised. I was like, girl, look at you. And sometimes I just sat back and just looked at her. And then she'd call me in and we'd dance. And you have no idea what my wife might be feeling 
or caring. And yet I was so filled with joy to watch my wife in the middle of raising five kids and the craziness of our life and pastoring a church and having friends and the highs and lows of our year. She kind of put that aside and let the joy of celebrating her sister come out. And we had a great time. Do you still dance? Do you still get up and move? And that's what we find in this Christmas story. That in spite of the circumstance, you have Mary and Joseph and all of these characters moving past the circumstance and that inner hara is coming out and saying, there's something beyond these circumstances. There's something beyond my set of circumstances around me. So we're gonna go to Luke chapter two and we're gonna read about 14 verses together as we read this story and understand what's going on. So here we go. While they were there, Mary and Joseph, the time came for the baby to be born. This is Jesus. And she, being married, gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those whom his favor rests. Verse 15, and when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Verse 19, but Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart that deep part of her soul. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So this Christmas season, let's be reminded that God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And, and I think this is part of our, our, our human condition. We love these stories of regular everyday people who do extraordinary things. And I think that's in our nature because we are wired to be like God. That God has put that in us for, because he wants to use the regular things of this world to confound the wise. The regular everyday mundane things that can really make a difference in somebody else's life. I was watching the news a couple of years ago. You may have heard this story. And this, this grandmother was texting her grandson about coming to Christmas dinner, and she didn't know she was texting the wrong person. And the young man texted her back, and he said, I know I'm not your grandson, but can I still come to Christmas dinner? And she said yes. And in the story... There's something about the story that I thought was really beautiful because it was an older lady who happened to be white and a young teenage boy who was black. And here we are five, six years later and he has made it a tradition to celebrate the holidays with her and she has opened up her home. See, extraordinary things 
She didn't go and make an extra dinner. She didn't go and create a new holiday. You know what she did? She said, I'm already going to cook a meal. Why not have one more person sit at the table with us? See, it's extraordinary thing, extraordinary people to, to do these amazing things. And I know we love these stories, but you have to know your desire and your love of those stories didn't come from just you and I. It came from the heart of God. He uses ordinary people. I mean, verse 10, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. You understand he's bringing great news to shepherds? These people aren't even in the town. They're in the outskirts. They smell like sheep. They're blue-collar workers that are blue-collar all the time, no chance to clean up, and God chooses to speak to ordinary people about the king coming to the earth, came to the shepherds. I mean, God is using a teenage girl named Mary who he found pleasing in his sight. She probably had set herself apart, really honored God, and God chose her to carry Jesus. He chose a carpenter to raise the king of the world. A carpenter whose values lined up with his to care and raise the son of God. See, God is in the habit of doing a few things. And we have to break the box that wants to limit God and what he can do with your ordinary life. Sometimes we box God in, and and maybe for good reason. Some of us have boxed God in because we've experienced God through other people. We've heard about Jesus from other people who maybe haven't had the best witness of what it means to know Jesus. And if you've experienced that, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry if you experience people who don't represent the love of God very well, and yet, if we're not careful, we take that experience... And we box in the creator of the world. And we have to break the box that wants to limit what God can do. See, God also desires for you to know him for who he really is. God wants you to know him for who he really is. Verse 11, and today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. He wanted them to know you're gonna see a baby, but it's not just a baby. He will bring good news. He is the savior of the world. He is the light of the world. And he's asking them to make room for a baby king. Can you make room in your heart because he's not just a baby or a miracle worker or a genie in a bottle or a crucifix that some people pray to? He is beyond that. He is the king. And so I have a question for you. When you think of Jesus, what do you picture? Just in your own mind, what do you picture about Jesus? found this quote from A.W. Tozer, and he says this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Why? Because we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Again, we've been knit together in our mother's womb, and how we see God is so important because it dictates the nature and the trajectory of our soul. When you see God, when you imagine God, what do you imagine? 
How would you, with that kind of heart posture, welcome Jesus into the world? There's kind of two camps. There's a city of Bethlehem that is crazy busy because of a census. There's all sorts of people from all over the region coming to this town, and it is full, and there is no room for Jesus. So Mary has to go to a cave, has to go to a stable, and give birth, and place him in a manger. This item that the animals eat out of. There's no room for Jesus in Bethlehem. There's no context for Jesus. And then there's Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the wise men who follow a star, who are making room for a king. They're stepping out in faith. And I wonder when we picture Jesus, do we picture a Jesus that has no room in our life? We're busy, we got stuff going on, we got people staying at our house, we got all sorts of activities going on. Gosh, yeah, okay, I may or may not believe in you, but I really don't have room, it would be nice. Or are we like these other characters who make room, not just a piece of the pie, not just a, a piece of the room, make room for who Christ is. How would Jesus be welcome in your world? in your heart of Bethlehem? Is he kept at bay? Do we make room for him to be part of our lives? Would your actions, your heart posture say, welcome to our world? Or would we even notice that he's entered our world? Here's the question. How would you, if you were in that moment, with your current heart posture, how would you and I welcome him to our world?
celebrate but in order for us to really receive the gift we we actually have to make room in our hearts see the king must first take his rightful place in our hearts and what does that what does that mean and what does that look like in verse 19 it says but mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart and I know she was the mother of Jesus, and I know there's a different kinds of emotion, a mother who just gave birth and the love that she feels, and yet Mary knows that it's not just another baby that has been born. And, and how do we know that? How do we know that Mary knows? Because Scripture tells us that Mary, when she goes to name the baby, gives him the name Jesus, which is the direction that was given to her by the angel. She didn't give him a different name. She didn't get caught up in the emotion of just of being a mom. She didn't get caught up in, here's what I want. I know, God, you want him to be named Jesus, but what about Fred? I mean, Fred's a family name. You understand, God. No, out of obedience, she saw this child, and it wasn't just a child. He was the hope of the world, and she pondered these things in her heart. And in pondering that, she was remembering that he was more than just a baby, more than just her child. He was the king of kings, and she gave him the name that is above all names. That the mention of his name, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess. These are the things that she's pondering in her heart. And yet, what do we have occupying that space in our heart currently? What do we have that doesn't really leave a lot of room for the king who created you and loves you and formed you. What is there that is, that, that is taken? That is, it is, is it your personal desire? Is it the drive for your career? Is it your investment portfolio? Maybe it's even your family and friends. What is there that aren't necessarily bad things, but taking up the room meant for the one who created us? What are you treasuring? And I wonder, as you imagine who God is and as you picture Jesus, have you ever thought of the question, what does God treasure? I, I hope you have, because what he treasures is you and me. He treasures us. And, and I'm going to read a scripture that you may have heard before. Hopefully you would hear it tonight from a different context. John 3, 16 and 17. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, 
to save the world through him. And how do you know if somebody values something, what they're willing to sacrifice for it? So how do I know he values you and I? Because he sacrificed his own son. And if you've never heard the good news, the gospel of Jesus, that's what happened. That our lives and our circumstances, some people call it, you know, mistakes. Other people call it sin. The things that separate us from God. And the truth is, we've put ourselves in a box. Our decisions, our life, our circumstances. And yet God has come to break the box. To allow us to see bigger than that. To have a chance at a true relationship that is growing with him. So God looked at us outside of the box. Outside of our sin and our brokenness. Many times, the issues of our life, our hang-ups, the things that we have, have become a slave master to us. We've boxed ourselves in. Nobody can love me past this point. Nobody can know me past this point. And yet, I hope you know he loved you before you could ever love him. And he saw us as worth dying for. Some of you have come to that knowledge and realization and lived that way. And others of us hearing it for the first time or haven't accepted it for the first time. And yet, do you know there's great joy in this? There's so much joy in this. And we're about to sing a song, joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let earth receive her king. You and I are earth. Are we, do we have room in our hearts to receive the king? And let every heart prepare him room. And heaven, and heaven and nature sing. To be aligned with the heavenlies who know God day in, day out. And that we have the opportunity to make room for him. We only receive the king when we make room. And not give him a corner, not give him a piece. But we clear out entire spaces of our heart of our soul to say, God, this is the place for you and I to meet. This is a place not meant for anything else. No vice, no addiction, no heartbreak. This is a place that God created, a God-sized hole in our heart that only He can fill. But we get to choose. And here's the choice we get to make. One, Many of us have already decided that he is the king and we're reminded tonight to make room. Maybe we haven't been making room. Maybe we've filled it up with all sorts of stuff and we need to declutter some of our life. It's Christmas weekend. Guess what my wife made me do yesterday? Clean up my closet. I was like, this, is very, this doesn't feel like Christmas. This is not Christmas. She's like, how do you make room for new stuff with all your old stuff? How do we make room for the king, for a new life, for new things in Christ when we carry all the old stuff? And the second, maybe we've never prayed that prayer. Maybe we've never acknowledged the need for a king, the need for a savior. Tonight might be the first time for some of us to acknowledge that. So I'm gonna pray for all of us, no matter what camp we're in, because there's joy that comes from the acknowledgement that we need to make room for the King. Will you pray with me? God, I pray for my brothers and sisters, many who 
have already acknowledged who Jesus is. And as they do that, Lord, remind us of your goodness. Remind us of our own shortcomings. Remind us that we need to make room, continual room for those of us who have found clutter in our hearts. Help us to declutter our hearts in this season. Help us to to remind ourselves of your goodness, of your greatness, to make room for you in this season and every season beyond that. And then I pray for my brothers and sisters who for the first time tonight are acknowledging I am in need of this Savior. I'm in need of the one who wants to break the box of my life, who wants to push past my sin and my shame, my hangups, and the things that cause me to isolate myself. And in all of that, God, we have joy. We have joy because your hope is coming to the world. We have joy because your light invades the darkness. We have joy because your love overcomes our circumstances and situations. We have joy because the King has come and we are making room for Him. And we will sing like the angels and we will say, yes, God, there's room for you. Yes, God, there's room for you in my heart. You are the creator of heaven and earth. And there's room for you to come into my world. Jesus, you are the King. We will join with heaven in singing these words. So grateful, God, for your goodness. So grateful for your love. We sing together, joy to the world.